give that praise in the house today. Hallelujah. You have no idea how blessed we are that we can congregate and lift up the name of Jesus together today. Not because it's Resurrection Sunday, because, uh, as a matter of fact, I don't even know where else, unless it's another team challenge, has their in-house congregation. Hallelujah. We're a live-in congregation. People can't travel and gather nowhere. I was out there. I walked to the store this morning to stretch my feet, and there's no church folks on the street on Sunday. Resurrection Sunday. No fancy suit wearing, big hat wearing. People going down the street, even if it's their only Sunday of the year that they go to church, people ain't outside because They've been limited, but not us. Hallelujah. 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 Thank you, Lord. Thank you. And on, beh on behalf of our dear Pastor Don, our dear Pastor Paul Burke, our Pastor Will, and our Pastor Charles, on their behalf, I stand before you today, your humble servant, to pour into you a word from heaven that will impact your eternity, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You may take your seats. And, and it's not like we're in-house and lacking anything. We got, we got food, we got folks, and we got fun. Amen? We, we got a hidden keyboard player all in the cut. For such a time as this, shall that gift rise up? Come on, somebody. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Amen. A, a house full of worshiper. what worshipers. What a blessing that is. This morning as I was... Uh, eavesdropping, ear hustling on you guys as you did your uh, morning devotions, which some of you know I do. I heard our brother Ricky say that his wife asked him a question that he was perplexed to answer. And even in the answer that he may have found, there's still a lot missing to that. Because, you see, the perplexity that I'm going to talk to you about is in this word that we're saying that we're celebrating, which is resurrection, resurrection from the dead. Now, in order for a people in a society to come to a conclusion that something impossible has happened, we must first divulge the truth about the possible. And what the possible is that we are all aware of is that death is real. Death is real. And, and, and not just die, die, die dead. There is a process that the physicality of our body goes through in death. Immediately as your lungs stop, your heart stops, there are some things that physically happen to the body that dies whether you saved or not. Your brain is the last thing to go. It's still trying to find some neurons to function with and then it's out. Once the heart stops, blood stops being pumped through your body. Therefore, whatever position your body died in, the blood will settle at the level where the last pump sent it. And it will pool in your body. And this is within minutes of death. It's instant. It starts to happen immediately. Everything stops when we die. No more breath, no more blood flow, no more brain activity. But you see, 
there's another thing that immediately starts to happen with death is another D word called decay. Your body immediately, because the life-giving air and the life-giving blood is no longer giving the skin or giving any of your internal organs what they need to live. We need to keep everything going, and it has stopped. We need blood flowing to keep everything going, and it has stopped. And so what, de what happens is now decay begins to happen. The veins begin to shrivel. The skin begins to shrivel. Death is near. The flies, they smell the death at a level that we cannot comprehend with our senses, sense of smell. And they come and they say, hey, this is going to be some food for a long time for my babies. And they come and they land on the body. And it seemed like they just landed and went away. No, they landed and dropped in their eggs in there so that their eggs can, in about two and a half to three days, come to fullness and become larvae and start to eat and feast on the dead corpse. And this is facts. You can Google it and look it up. There's a lot more, but I'm not going to go into that. You get the idea. So when we say we believe in resurrection, three days later, we don't only believe that Jesus came back. We believe that his body reversed that whole process. Question do you really believe that can happen? I know the spiritual side of it is, yes, he's resurrected. But do you believe in the full reversal of the physicality that happened because he died? When they anoint the body, it's so that the smell of decay, not the stopping of decay, this thing going to stank. When Lazarus was, was, when they told him to go get, get Lazarus, do you know why they didn't want to go get him? He says, Lord, it's been four days. By now, he's stinking. We ain't going to, mm -mm. that's nasty. But we want to claim that we believe in the whole process. When mainly we're grabbing onto a flimsy piece of spiritual acknowledgement of something. And I want to declare to you that you must accept the whole truth and nothing but the truth about this in this area of your psychology in order for it to actually impact your life spiritually. Amen? Is that too deep for you on a Sunday morning? I hope it is because I'm about to take you there. Amen? And, 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 and I'm going to preach through um, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 as the text, but I'm going to lead my way there. And the topic that I'm going to use is, has anybody said something to you and you said, for real? And they'd be like, nah, for real, for real. Well, I'm going to take it to another one and say, for real, for real, for real. For real, for real, for real. That's the name of the sermon this morning. For real, for real, for real. For real resurrection. For real restoration. And for real transformation. For real. See, Jesus needed to die. For real. One of the most common questions asked when people hear the gospel is why Jesus needed to die. Why couldn't God have reconciled humanity to himself another way? 
Why couldn't God have just done that? Tackling the cross and resurrection from this angle lets you share the good news in a fresh manner to the people that are to be the hearers of your testimony. Now, the, the thing is that the entire Bible hinges on this story because our need for the cross goes all the way back, really, to Genesis chapter 3 and sin's entrance into the world and the culminations of a new heaven and a new earth described in Revelation 21. From Genesis chapter 3 all the way to Revelations 21 gives us the reality of the need for and the process that led to resurrection. At the same time, one of the most common themes in resurrection sermons is the focus on the atonement, which is important, but it's not the only reason the Bible tells us that Jesus had to die. And we're going to cover these basic uh, biblical doctrines um, in order to bring us to the point of realization of why, why resurrection. Amen? Now, Even though there's a lot of different passages that argue for the necessity of the cross to make the case of why the crucifixion and resurrection were necessary, we have to build an argument that touches on the problem of sin. Say that with me. It's all about the sin. It's, a, it's all about the sin. Then it's about the inadequacy of the law. Then it is about how everything changed on the cross. We had sin. Then we had the law, its inadequacy, and then the need for a new covenant, a new testament. Amen? A new contract with God. Romans 3, 22 to 26 says this. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Uh, did you notice the text there? For all have sinned and fall, continuous pronoun, short of the glory of God as if it is ongoing. That means everyone in the past has fallen short. Everyone in the past has fallen short. And we will go on to fall short except for Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. And God presented Jesus as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood that is to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. In other words, it's 1 John 2 and 2 says, he is the atoning sacrifice for our sin, and not only ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Further on in Romans 5, 9 to 11, it says, since we have been justified by his blood, just as if I'd never done it, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him for the sins that we commit ongoing? 
For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have received reconciliation for real, for real. Amen? Amen. Now, you see, sin corrupted God's perfect creation for real. God always intended to have a perfect, mutually loving relationship with people. It's no mere coincidence that God made Adam and Eve. He said his creation was not just good, it was very good. Adam's sin changed everything. The rest of the Bible focuses on how God works out a plan that he had in place for reconciliation. Somebody say, I'm reconciled. It's been fixed for me, right? The fix is in. Amen? Amen. See, the law couldn't heal our brokenness from sin, for real. The law is a set of 613 commands. We find in the Old Testament, not the ten that we think is the law. Those are the ten commandments that lead to all of the law that falls underneath those headings. Amen? And it is told that the Israelites, it told the Israelites what living in a right relationship with God looked like. It meant doing good and not doing evil. And when the Israelites made mistakes, they had to make a sacrifice to restore the relationship. And sin always cost them something. Our sin, though, pointed to a larger problem. Sin isn't just an act of rebellion. Our sinfulness has impacted every aspect of who we are from our minds to our hearts. As Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount, specifically in Matthew 5, 21 to 22, that the Lord didn't go far enough to make us truly right with God. It didn't provide a way to make us completely righteous. None of us, by any merit of our own, or any amount of inherent goodness can make ourselves good in God's sight. I don't care how much you pray. I don't care how many tithes you give. I don't care how much suffering you put your body through. It does not make you right with God. You see, the good works that we do is not predicated upon us being good. The good works that we do are done after God has made us righteous in him, and now those works become good works. Does that make sense? Because uh, there's bad people doing good things. Amen? But they're thinking that they're good because they're doing better than the bad, but their good is bad in comparison to what God considers good. Amen? Amen. So watch ourselves now. Think you're doing good. Hallelujah. God got another idea about that for you, for real. Amen? Amen. See, we've earned death. Because of our sin. The Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death. When sin entered the world, it ushered in a new era of death slash decay. The Lord makes us aware of our sin by showing us the symptoms, but it can't cure us. And regardless of what symptoms we exhibit or how severe they are, we will all die as a result. Paul writes in Romans 6.23 that the consequences, as I said, or the wages of sin is death. Our rebellion against God earns death, someone's death. That death doesn't necessarily, thank you, Lord, have to be ours. That's why Jesus, who was sinless, could die in our place. Hallelujah. Jesus paid the price for our sin for real. 
When Jesus sacrificed himself for our sin, God paid the penalty for our transgressions. So we do not need to do so. In 2 Corinthians, Paul described it like this. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Because our righteousness, we have none. To God, it is as filthy rags. Come on, church. Somebody help me. Amen. The righteous, the rightest righteousness that you have in God's eyes is filthy rags because it is done out of what? It is done out of a sinful nature in spiteless of the good that you might intend. Amen. That's like having a dirty pot and pour clean water and think that you're going to get clean water out of it. No, the inside of the pot, if it remains dirty, I don't care what good the water is that comes out of it, it is still affected by the vessel that holds it. Does that make sense? Scientific, practical, applicable, feet to the ground kind of faith kind of thing? Amen. Then I'm talking to the right people. I'm talking to the right people. Amen? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This, so, 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 so the thing was that Jesus could only do this because he was sinless. Otherwise, his death would only pay for his own sin. He would have died for himself. Paid it. His divinity was the only reason he could remain sinless. It was like multiplying our sin by zero. It didn't matter how much sin we have or how many people there were. Jesus took all sin, past, present, and future, unto himself, leaving us with his own righteousness. I would take that to the bank. I mean, I would uh, exchange my filthy rags for glorious righteousness. I would take beauty for my ashes on any given day. How about you? Yeah, I want that. I'll take that. So he did this, though, but he did this as something else. It wasn't just about him cleaning up the act. He demonstrated the love he expected us once we realized what he did for us to show to one another. Look to your neighbor and say, this is about you. Yeah, this, this is this about you, too. Yeah, no, you. Look at him again. He think he's talking about you, but you're talking about him. Say, it's about you. Hallelujah. It's about you. <laughs> Love one another. Jesus issued his disciples a new commandment I give to you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. Not by the size of the Bible that you carry. Not by the amount of scriptures that you memorize. He says, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. If you, if you, if you. Somebody say, if I. In other words, I don't have to. But if you do want to claim your Christianity, if you do want to call yourself a man of God, if you do want to prove that you're filled and baptized in the Holy Ghost, you got to love one another. Yeah, you do. One another. Hallelujah. Yeah, yes. And, and it shall set you, and it shall set you free. <laughs> Put a little love in your heart. Hallelujah. What's love got to do with it? Everything. Everything. Hallelujah. Yeah. People can know that you follow Jesus when they see us show others the kind of love he showed to us. But when Jesus said these words, he hadn't showed the greatest love of all even then. In John chapter 15, he told the disciples again to love one another. This greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. 
Now that's friendship. I would die for you. Yeah. Somebody brought that spirit up by singing Purple Rain last night. Just did it to me. I got to sh shake it off a little bit. <laughs> Hallelujah. With his death on the cross, Jesus modeled the greatest possible form of love, showing his disciples and us how much he expects his followers to love others. And because of that, Jesus' love demolished Satan's plan for real, for real. See, Satan has been at work all through the history of man trying to sabotage God's created order. His ultimate plan for doing so was sin itself. Sin has, comes with it a consequence. And when we look at James, James tells us there's a little process that it starts with an evil desire within you that joins on with something else that's something else and then gives birth after it joins together and then becomes death. See, ultimately, our ultimate eternal separation from God is what the devil wants you to join him in. Misery truly loves company. He will never be able, never be able, ever, ever, ever be able to have relationship with God. And that's what he wants for you too. Eternal separation. And that's what death at this time, had done. That's why even though in the garden they had eaten of the tree of good and evil, they were put out of the garden before they ate the tree from the tree of life. Because then that would have set the stage for eternal sin. Another story, another day. Hmm. His ultimate plan, John 1 tells us that one reason Jesus entered humanity and died on the cross was to destroy forever the devil's plan. The one who does what is sinful, according to 1 John 3 and 8, is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Ironically, listen to this, Satan thought that by killing Jesus... He would be using sin to unravel God's plan. The Messiah was supposed to restore God's kingdom on earth, so killing Jesus would prevent God's kingdom from being restored. But Jesus' death was the very thing that set the restoration in motion. You see, so the, so the question, why, 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 why does the, uh, the resurrection even matter? Uh, our faith hinges on the resurrection. Paul provides us with a powerful explanation of this in 1 Corinthians 15. This was all just my introduction. No, I'm joking. Without, <laughs> without the first resurrection Sunday, sin would still have the last laugh, and we would be stuck in it forever. We could never restore our relationship with God on our own because of the our own sin. It's simply just too high for us to pay. But in, 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 in this text here, I've pointed out some things that, you see, if there's no for real resurrection, 
then there's no for real victory to shout about. They would have to erase all the songs ever written about victory is mine. Nope. We'd be for real lying to ourselves and to others about this powerful, loving God. Amen? You get the truth? Amen? See, Paul calls us false witnesses of, of God without the resurrection. We're liars. Worth yet, worse yet, Jesus is too. He told his followers many times that the grave would never hold him. See, Christianity is a lie without Jesus' resurrection. John 3, 16 and 17 is a lie. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whosoever believeth in him would not perish in death but have life everlasting slash for eternity. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world to death, but by through him the world would be saved from the wrath of God and the punishment of eternal separation slash death. Amen? Amen. And if you understand this, now your praise is going to mean something. Hallelujah. Because, see, the truth of the matter is that it's all laid out in front of us in the word as I now get to the text. No resurrection, no eternal life, no cross, no crown. Amen? 1 Corinthians chapter 15 Starting at verse 12, I'm going to read into your hearing. And I'm reading from the New Living Translation. You can follow along the best you can, but escuchen un momento, por favor, caballeros. Gracias. But tell me this, and, and just imagine that Paul is talking to you and having a conversation with you, okay? He says, and, and you were arguing with him about this death and life thing, like some of us should until we really, really get to the point where we believe it, for real, for real. But tell me this, since we preach that Christ rose from the dead, why are some of you saying there will be no resurrection from the dead, of the dead? For if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, then all our preaching is useless and your faith is useless. And we, apostles, would all be lying about God, for we have said that God raised Christ from the grave. But that can't be true if there's no resurrection of the dead. And if there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless. And you are still guilty of your sins. In that case, all who have died believing in Christ are lost. And if our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are more to be pitied than anyone else in the world. Because we're acting like there's a life after this and that if we line up with God and with his will and with his way, we will do good. When really, it wouldn't even matter. Because we'll go to hell with the partiers too. And if that was true, I'm going to party. 
If this, if this is all there is, and from here, it's eternal Hades and weeping and gnashing of teeth, I'm going to get my dance on, I'm going to get my drink on, I'm going to get my smoke on, I'm going to get it all on, because doing good don't matter. There would be no reason to try to be righteous if the resurrection is a lie. If his death on the cross and his resurrection had no power. Amen? Listen, 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 listen. But in fact, I love the way he said this, Paul. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of a great harvest of all who have died. So you see, just as death came into them, now he's going to get real technical about it. He's going to get deep into their history and to his culture. And he's going to also let them know the power of God that they had seen back then is the power of God that has been put before them in the resurrection of Christ. And I'm going to join him as I go there. You see, just as death came into the world through a man, I'm at verse 21, now the resurrection from the dead has begun with another man. Just as everyone who dies because we all belong to Adam, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. But there is an order in this resurrection. Christ has raised as the first of the harvest. Then all who belong to Christ, somebody say, that's me, will be raised when he comes back. After that, the end will come. When he will turn the kingdom over to God the Father, having destroyed every ruler and authority and power. For Christ must reign until he humbles all his enemies beneath his feet. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. For the scriptures say God has put things, all things, under his authority. Of course, when it says all things are under his authority, that does not include God himself who gave Christ his authority. Then, when all things are under his authority, the son will put himself under God's authority so that God who gave his son authority over all things will be utterly supreme over everything, everywhere. Christ will decrease so that God the Father will increase. That's another story also. If the dead will not be raised, what point is there in people being baptized for those who are dead? When we do baptism, it doesn't get you saved. You know that, right? Right? It doesn't actually do anything to you at all. Physically, you get wet. Period. Baptized is an external witness to others of what has already happened. And you are showing what's called identification with that. I stand here identifying with the death, burial, the life, life, life first, got to be alive before you die. Life first, the death, and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ publicly. If you haven't done that, you can jump in the water all the time. Might as well bring soap, have a bath. It'll give you more than what you think you got. At least you get a bath. Amen? Amen? So it's an, it's an identification of this thing. 
Listen to this. And what value was there? Listen. And, and why would we ourselves risk our lives hour by hour? For I swear, dear brothers and sisters, that I face death daily. This is as certain as my pride in what Christ Jesus Lord has done for us. And what value was there in fighting wild beasts, those people of Ephesus, if there will be no resurrection from the dead? And if there is no resurrection, let's feast and drink. See, you thought that I was saying that as a, some kind of heathen, right? No, Paul said, and he's telling the whole church, if there is no resurrection of the dead, let's feast and drink, for tomorrow we die. Don't be fooled by those who say such things, for bad company corrupts good character. Think carefully about what is right and stop sinning. For to your shame I say that some of you don't know God at all. Now this is Paul getting really, really serious about this part that I opened up talking to you about, that you have a mental kind of like a spiritual kind of thingy acceptance of, hey, it's resurrection, but you don't live resurrected. You don't, you don't live risen up. Before I go back to these few scriptures and then have Matt pipe something in for me here, listen. Is you see, the, the, the way we participate in the resurrection power is this. The Bible tells us that that same power that rose Jesus from the grave does what? Somebody who knows their Bible a little, does what? D yeah, okay, he dwells in you. It sounds good, but think about that. The same power. How did the, 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 the physicality of death get reversed? It was through the power of the Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. And that same power that reversed the process of death that led to new life is in you now. That means... That when you rose up from your addiction, that it wasn't you and your mind. It wasn't you and your decision. When you rose up after accepting Christ and you rose up and you said, behold, all things, old things, have, all things have become new. I am a new creation. You are saying that the reason I'm new is because I got a new spirit. And that spirit that is in me is the power of God. God and the power of God knows if God be for me I'm going to change it if God be in me you see if we believe in this resurrection and this resurrection power that we have attained through God we would treat each other just a little bit differently we would treat each other like dude Dude, dude, because you, we, would, we, we, we would fan the flames in one another and, and, and encourage one another to walk in the new life, to walk in the new power, to walk in the power to forgive, to walk in the power to heal, to walk in the power, hallelujah, that comes from walking in Jesus Christ. Not just singing the songs about it, but living that real, for real, for real life where I believe it and you don't, I don't even got to say it. You see, when somebody believes, they don't got to say nothing to you. You can see that they believe in the way they walk. You could see that they believe by the way they talk to you. You could see that they believe by the way life does not impact them the same way that it impacts. They got a peace about them that comes from something rising up on the inside that takes them through everything on the outside.
for, for real, for real. No, for real. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. But some may ask, okay, I got all that. Even back in the day, there was people like that. How will the dead be raised? What kind of bodies will they have? <laughs> I like Paul's answer, so gully a guy. What a foolish question. <laughs> when you put a seed into the ground, it doesn't grow into a plant unless it dies first. And what you put in the ground is not the plant that will grow, but only a bare seed of wheat or whatever you are planting. Then God gives it the new body he wants it to have. A different plant grows from each kind of seed. Similarly, there are different kinds of flesh, one kind for human, another for animals, another for birds, another for fish. There are also bodies in the heavens and bodies on the earth. The glory of the heavenly bodies is different from the glory of the earthly bodies. The sun has one kind of glory, while the moon and the stars have another kind, and even the stars differ from each other in their glory. Somebody say, I gotta stand up in my glory. God is saying that you've got, that there's a glory waiting for you. It's not just a, a new body it's a new glory it's a new level of glory and if you're thinking that this body which we love so dearly and since we no I don't comb but since we take care of and since we we we, we moisturize and and we unpimplify and we and we and we, and we skin tone and we and we, and, we, and we deodorize and all these things this thing is going to turn into dust it's going to turn into dust, but there is a body that is imperishable that we are to receive once this perished thing goes away. You see, that new plant doesn't come up until that seed dies and no longer exists. And he is relating to us and saying, you got no idea what that new body is going to look like. You think it's going to look like what went in, but you're going to be so surprised, you and I. We can't even imagine what it looks like. Hallelujah. We can't imagine. Imagine what it's going to look like. You think you're beautiful now? You ain't seen beauty yet. Wait until you shine. Wait until you shine. Glory from the inside, rising up on the outside. Able to praise God without having to fight the flesh. Able to praise God with no hindrance, no devil, no past, no guilt, no shame. All gone in that body. And then you will know. You will not only see him as he is, but you will be like him. Do I got anybody to know the Bible in the house that can help me finish a verse? Do I have to go and get my Pentecostal church and bring them here so I can start to run around the room and feel the joy that's coming up in me? I feel like I got to hang you to get. Ah, yeah, yeah, Sandarabashandesa. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The Spirit of God that is in you. Hallelujah. The scriptures tell us the first man, Adam, became a living person, but the last Adam, that is Christ, is a life giving spirit. What comes first is the natural body, then the spiritual body later. Adam, the first man, was made from the dust of the earth while Christ, the second man, came from heaven. Earthly people are just like the earthly man and heavenly people like the heavenly man. And just as we are now like the earthly man, we will someday be like the heavenly man. What am I saying, dear brothers and sisters, in that our physical bodies cannot inherit the kingdom of God? These dying bodies cannot inherit what will last forever. <laughs> but let me reveal to you a wonderful, wonderful secret. 
Let's get that ready, Matt. We will not all die. Somebody say that. We will not all die, but we will all be transformed. Let me say that again. We will not all die, but we will all be transformed. It will happen in a moment, in the blink of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown. For when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever. And we, somebody say, if it happens while I'm here, if it happens while I'm here, I will also be transformed. For my dying body must be transformed into to bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. And then our dying bodies, when have been transformed into bodies that will never die, this scripture will be fulfilled. Oh, death is swallowed up in victory. Yeah, now you can sing the song. Oh, death, where is your victory? Yeah, now you can sing that song. Oh, death, where is your sting? For the sin is the sting that results in death, and the law gives sin its power. But thank God, he gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ for real, for real, for real. He is risen so that we can rise. He is risen so that we can come up. Tell him to do that. He, he is risen. 